I've got my what is it called a uh, pop what, filter pop yeah the, it's called a pop filter but what's the the what are the the, the like the limiter no what, what are the the like the the, 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 the plethables or something What's up, Polo people? Welcome to the Northside Polo Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin, here with my friends and teammates, Liam. Hey there. And Alex. Hey, what's up? And we have an episode for you today. But before we get to that episode, we obviously got to start with the news. Liam, give him the news. The news. I don't think there is any news. You're right. But you know what they say. No news is good news. That's exactly true. All right, so let's get right to the next thing then. You know what I mean? And we're bringing back a classic today, all the way from our first episode. People loved it, and we're going to do it even bigger and better this time. It's time for your favorite game and mine, overrated, underrated. And for those of you that weren't listening in our first episode, I'm going to explain to you guys the rules. I'm going to shout out a random bike polo related thing. And my two friends here, Alex and Liam, they're going to tell me if that thing is overrated or underrated by the general committee and probably why you boys ready okay so i think that generally this game is underrated but because people have been asking for it they probably have too high of expectations so i think the game might be overrated have they really been asking for it no actually no one's okay then then it's it's (laughs) you just want to do it again i just think it's a good game gets the people talking (laughs) okay so then in that case it's underrated for sure okay first thing Wheel covers, overrated, underrated. Uh, under, underrated. What makes you? Say I'm gonna that? say overrated. Wow. I'll disagree with you, Liam. They, they save but, your spokes. How is that overrated? Well, have you? I mean, they they also just suck in the wind. Like, I think they look cool. <laughs> I know that they save your spokes, but like, if you've ever had to commute any distance to a court with wheel covers on like it they're terrible and honestly just getting like just get 48 spokes like if you don't if you don't have 48 spokes for for bike polo like if you're playing 700s just get 48 spokes get a big beefy wheel you don't need wheel covers i have 48s but then won't your wheel be super heavy like 48 spokes a lot of metal i guess is it heavier 48 spokes or with a wheel cover do you think uh, it depends on your wheel cover because they really do range in material. Right. If you're using like a corrugated plastic election sign versus one of those like lighter European like translucent wheel covers. Yeah, I do think I think the new ones are actually pretty pretty good. Um, but like I've been able to get my wheels down to be like relatively light. Like I'm not using the I'm not using like the truckers. Like having lighter definitely taking wheel like weight off the wheels helps. And like I guess that's the thing. Weight off the wheels helps. Wheel covers really do add weight. Especially if they're old response. election signs um like With I tape. use. Tape <laughs> and most people weight. use. Mm. So maybe I'll say the the ones that are like you know like the ones you have that are like uh, plastic but like there's a lot of holes in them, right? So that the wind yeah. can go through more or less. I mean those I will say if you don't have better. 48 spokes, then they're underrated cuz if you it sucks having the ball go through. Like if you don't have uh for like uh, enough spokes in your wheel, like just get wheel covers. I use a 32 or, or spoke wheel spokes. and then I use those very like minimalist translucent plastic wheel covers and honestly since I've had the wheel covers on, I've never broken a spoke from that side of my wheel. And to be honest, I don't notice them when I'm playing. So <laughs> just I like a rotor them. guard. 
or just but, a rotor, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like them. I don't know. I've broken lots of stuff on my bike, but never spoke from that side on shots. So, But are they overrated or underrated? <sighs> you see, this is the problem with this game. I'm going to say that <laughs> the bike pole community in general, wheel covers are underrated. Because I think there's a lot of players that just like scoff at the idea of using wheel covers. But wheel covers is kind of what, like, when I when I see like polo bikes and stuff, it's, it's sort of the thing that makes it instantly identifiable. They are like, iconic. Oh yeah. That's a polo bike. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's like an iconic yeah. thing. I feel like maybe they were used a lot more in like historical games, like in the early days. Yeah. Before um, you had that like we polo have, like, wheels. Yeah. Before mm-hmm. you had wheels designed for polo. Right. So I don't know. Maybe it's kind of a legacy thing. I think they're cool. It's a great way to express your individuality with some cool art on your wheel cover. Yeah. Or just put a bunch of stickers yeah all right so so the it's only it's only overrated if you don't dress it up and put cool art on it because if you if you're just putting it on your wheel like uh gavin or someone then like that's pretty lame but if you if you actually go to that extra effort to make it look nice then i think it's underrated because they are really cool okay wheel covers underrated gavin very lame we can move on from this (laughs) uh next one full court rips overrated underrated underrated again for me gotta rip it man yeah all right i want to hear i want to hear your explanation because i got to think about this one stretch the court what does that even mean (laughs) or uh, not stretch shrink the court (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like uh expanding the active play area of the you know you're not just shooting you know a couple feet ahead of you you're you're shooting okay, from okay. anywhere on the court and then you, if you can develop that reputation of being a threat at any at like at anywhere on the court then uh you know the other team's going to take notice they're going to be wary they're going to play different against you that's true alex i want to hear what you got to think okay i think it really depends on the size of court you're playing on it because in toronto we play on like the full hockey rink full court rips like a full court on the full hockey rink is overrated like it's ridiculous like you're not even if you can hit the shot people can literally catch up to the ball before it goes in um by pedaling so like toronto's court overrated toronto's court is gigantic and it does change the way or our old court because we don't have it anymore was gigantic and it changed the way that we played the game stretch passes weren't the best but full court shots are really hard and I think people do them more than they should. That being said, on a normal size polo court or on a small court where you're like actually able to score the full shot, I I think that they're really good. I really like them. But like you have to, you know, you have to take good quality shots, which is something we're going to talk about more. Like good quality full court shots, underrated. But I think a lot of new players don't necessarily know what their shot quality are, tend to go for full court shots. And I love the confidence, but... If you know, if you're new and you're thinking like, should I shoot this from behind my goal line? The answer is probably no. But if but, you're stuck but in go that, for it, it's the only way you can score. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but you should try. You should try, and you should find out. <laughs> I think we got a lot of fence in on the episode today, and I will dive more into full court rips later on. But we're just using this a little bit of foreshadowing for our next topic, so we'll move on from this one. Next one, overrated, underrated, lefties, overrated, overrated. <laughs> just for all the viewers uh, there listening to this um i'm the only left-handed player on this show it does not surprise me at all 
that these two righties are going to say <laughs> that lefties are overrated. And to be frank with them, I think they're right. Lefties are overrated. The amount yeah. of time that people spend saying, oh, you scored that one because you're left-handed or being left-handed such an advantage. Like These people got to sit down and reflect. What can a left-handed person do that a right-handed person can't do? There's nothing on a polo bike that, that one side can do that the other can't. So if, I think it's great to have a team of diverse players that includes lefties and righties, especially from an advantage standpoint, but there's nothing that makes a left-handed player any better than a right-handed player. I will take a teammate that can control the ball and has a good, like, fit into the team's rotation and pass over a player that's, like, left, like over left-handed, right-handed. Like, if you, if you gave me the choice of, like, a right-handed player that could do all those things or a left-handed player could do almost all of those things or all those things a little bit worse and I was just trying to win, I'd rather have the right-handed player. Because I, those, like, that's just yeah, more important. I absolutely agree. Individual skill, obviously, more important. I mean, if you had two identical players and your team was all righties and you could have a lefty on your squad, I bet you would take the lefty just because it would help in some maybe defensive lineups and things like that. But. No, but, but then you'd have to practice. See, this is the thing we run into is I get to practice in Toronto all the time with all these great right-handed players, and then I go play a tournament, and every time I pass to my teammate, he's got his mallet on the wrong side of his bike. Like, it actually is just a net. Like, he feels like it's better because he's the lefty, but it's actually just worse for the whole team. You know what? We're going to have a whole episode on lefties coming up. <laughs> I promise all the lefties out there listening, I'm not going to let this slander by, like, and we're going to talk about this. So maybe not next week, maybe not the week after, but the lefty episode is coming. And um, it'll, it'll just be you. <laughs> that's fine. I Maybe I'll yeah, have two left-handed guests only. on. Featuring lefties at. Yeah. Anyways. Actually, that'd be pretty cool. Last one. Overrated, underrated, live music. Oh, underrated. <laughs> I mean, this really depends on the band. <laughs> I haven't seen a live show in like forever. <laughs> it really depends on the quality of the music. <laughs> Honestly, um, I I would go listen to anything right now. I don't care. I think I I I love I love a good concert, but I do think that like there's a whole industry around. I don't know. I. I go to maybe like one or two concerts a year anyway. So like for me, the pandemic hasn't really changed that much. I love the live music that I go to. It's really cool. But like I could, I feel like it's something I could take or leave. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll say live music is, is overrated just because I think people like, like they make it so much more of a, of a thing. Whereas uh, I think it's, I think it's good, but it's not like, you know, it's not mm. life itself. It's not, it's not as good as some people make it sound. Mm. You know, we're going to get a lot of hate Ooh. for this in the emails, I'm sure. Boo. But uh, <laughs> I got to agree. I'm going to hate right here. I got to agree with you, Alex. Live music is absolutely overrated. Yeah. Uh, the game the game isn't, is it good or bad? Live music is great. It's good. I think it's overrated. This is right? exactly what I'm saying. It's incredibly highly rated. Everybody loves live music. They talk about it. Do you go see the show this weekend? Do you go to the show this weekend? You go to that bar. You're paying more for drinks. You're standing next to sweaty, <laughs> annoying people. And you know what? You could listen to this band at home in the comfort of your own couch. Sorry. I love all the musicians out there, by the way. Let me know when your shows are. I'll come see them. Like, I don't want to pay $300 to sit at the back of a stadium and, like, pay $30 for a beer. That like that that has to be overrated. By, by the time you're paying for that experience and you're like, I'm happy, right? Like that, You're overrating whatever that experience is. Right. Small shows, like local music, I think that's very different than stadium yeah, sure. shows. 
Well, absolutely. Very, like, very different. I would almost say the local scene's underrated. Those massive stadiums and like the drive-in concerts, overrated. Drive-in concerts, definitely overrated. <laughs> the sad thing about that is all the small venues you're talking about, like those are the ones that are going to be most affected by all this. If they do a drive-in you know, concert, can they like use the radio so that you can just listen to it on your car speakers and get better acoustics? <laughs> and then it's just a radio show? <laughs> Like, I don't know how it works, honestly. Like it's actually it's actually just a worse radio show, right? Like, wouldn't yeah. it be better if they just like broadcast it through your car? Like, if only your car had speakers and a way to receive audio signals wirelessly. <laughs> uh, Liam does raise a really good point here that you know those local shows, those small venues, those are going to be the ones hurt most by the pandemic we're going through right now. And um, yeah, my heart goes out to all the yeah. owners of those places and all the bands that play them. Um, we're really excited for you guys to come back eventually. And I know that I'll be going to see a few shows, even if it's not my favorite activity, I'm still going to do it. Cause yeah, it's definitely. important art and culture. Is I mean, important. I'm, I'm like literally working to put together a live music project. <laughs> I'm sitting here saying it's overrated, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. It's important. It's just maybe a little overrated. Shout out to all the people involved in music promoters, <laughs> bar owners, musicians, we're pulling for you. I Absolutely. am at least. I don't know about these guys. <laughs> <laughs> but not okay, too much because, well, you know, it is overrated. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're getting the worst. Oh, let's move on from this before we dig ourselves in a deeper <laughs> hole. Maybe I shouldn't have included such a spicy topic on the show. So let's move on to the primary the top. Down. The primary piece of this uh, episode. And um, this is a conversation that we really wanted to have because we really hope that this podcast is a space where we can get into some fun times, have some funny guests on, but also talk strategy and really dive into the nuts and the bolts and even the analytical side of bike polo from time to time, just so we have a really diverse conversation on the show. And to do that, to talk deep strategy, analytics, uh, bike polo, and what we think is best, what you guys think is best for winning games, we need to have some shared language. And we need to introduce a few concepts before we do that. And I think before we can talk about good offenses and good defenses and those kinds of systems, we first got to talk about, you know, very basic question. What's a good shot in bike polo? I don't know about you guys, but there's nothing worse than playing with some guys that as soon as they get the ball, just like smash it to the other side of the court as hard as they can. And you're like, you weren't even looking at the net. What the heck, dude? I don't Um, know what you're talking about. Have you guys ever played with anyone feel, like that? I, I feel I feel so so targeted right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful because it's just a turnover every time and the other team has a chance to attack back, right? So what we're going to have a conversation about right now is what makes a quality scoring opportunity, right? Good offenses generate the most high-quality scoring opportunities. They take the best shots. Good defenses look to take those things away. So before we can have a conversation about those two things, offense, defensive strategies, we got to explore what we call shooting percentage. So this is the first concept I really want to introduce. So shooting percentage is pretty simple to calculate. You know, you take all your shot attempts over the course of a game and then you take your goals. And if you divide your goals by your overall shot attempts, you can get your shooting percentage. I'm right on that, right guys? That's the math? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Perfect. So I should start, I'm burying the lead a little bit here, but. A project I did over the winter, well, almost completed, I was a little bit lazy on it, was I was watching a lot of the Cordoba games, and I was actually tracking every time a player took a shot, 
how did that shot occur? What did the player have possession of the ball? Was it passed to them? Was it a one-timer? Did they touch it once, settle it, then shoot it? What kind of shot did they take? And we'll go over the different kinds of shot techniques so you guys know what I'm talking about. Where was the shot taken from? And of course, did they score? Did they miss the net? Did they get the ball saved by a goalie or a defender? Looked at all these things. So I looked at five games and it's really challenging because you really have to watch like almost frame by frame the videos and track all these things. (laughs) So I did five games and I found that in Cordoba on that elimination day, those competitive games, the um, shooting percentage of all the teams combined, because it is a small sample size, so I don't like to draw any more conclusions than just the overall shooting percentage, was 10.2%. So I'm wondering, Alex and Liam, what do you guys think of that number? 10% scoring shooting percentage on these high-quality games. That sounds about right, right? Like in a, in a game where if you think about if, if you were playing a game of polo, or if you've ever had a game where literally half the shots you took went in the net, you would feel like a legend. Like, you would feel like the the best player ever. And, like, if you watch uh, a basketball game where it's much... I'm not, I don't want to get into the, like, one game's easier than the other, but, like, it's a lot easier for NBA players to hit baskets than, like, it is for polo players uh, to, like... I think it's easier to score a hoop in basketball than it is for polo. And like basketball, you're sitting between like 30 to 40% for a lot of shooting teams. I think like when Mm -hmm. they're doing well and like polo, it has to be like not, not knowing anything about the, what, like what the percentage for a good shot would be. I would say it has to be significantly lower than basketball. Um, And I, I think having uh, like, and then hot, what is it? Hockey. It's something like, it's below 10%. I think Polo's number should be higher than hockey. So it makes sense to me that it's like higher than hockey, but lower than basketball. So 10% sounds about right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is interesting to think of it in terms of one in 10 shots you take should go in if you're shooting, like if you're taking good quality shots, I guess. Well, that'd be is, like is that, is that a take home that we can, is that a take home that we can say? That's the average, right? So if you're scoring on, yeah, I mean, based on these numbers, if you're scoring 15% to 20% of your shots, you're doing great. You're doing amazing. If you're yeah. scoring under 10, you're not doing so good. If you're scoring 10, you're doing about average. Well, but, and I, I think the question the question that comes out of that is when I'm thinking about taking a shot, do I feel like I have a better than 1 in 10 chance of it going in or a worse than 1 in 10 chance of it going in? Because right. if I'm, if I'm, because some, sometimes, you know, I think we've all been there where the ball pops unexpectedly and you kind of see the defense, like but everyone on the court's like, oh, the ball's here now. And you kind of just swipe at it and you're like, whatever, one in a million. And it goes in and you feel like a legend. Um, but like depending on, and like it, it comes down to the like opportunity cost of that shot. If you give literally nothing up for that swipe, that's fine. But if it's like you're giving over a possession in an elimination game to take what you think is like, a one in a hundred chance that that has to be incorrect right mm-hmm. honestly even just taking a shot where you have a one in ten chance if you're giving up possession to take that shot might be a bad shot right yeah. um because you well, i think could... you, ri- you risk possession every single time you take a shot right. i don't think there's any shot you can take where you don't risk possession there's also a tendency for players i think to overestimate their abilities to score and what is a good shot. And I think we're going to have a good conversation about the factors that affect um, what might be a good shot, what might not be a good shot in a bit. Before we get there, there's a couple other concepts I want to 
just define and get out there. And the first one is opportunity costs. Alex, you just used it. Um, do you want to just explain what that is? Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of got into it with that example. Like if you're in a situation where let's say you're sprinting back on defense and the ball is bound, like if you if basically, uh, I won't give a terrible example, um, but opportunity cost is just what are you giving up for the opportunity? So if, if the answer is literally nothing, like you, your team, I mean, most of the time, like we were just saying, you give up possession or you give up, there's a good chance that you give up possession of the ball when you take a shot. You're going to have to recover that on a rebound or you're, the other team's going to recover it and you're going to lose possession. So that that would be the cost of the opportunity of the shot. But sometimes that's not the case. Like if you are um, in their crease and they're sort of scuffling around for the ball and nobody has it, it just pops out and it's in front of your mallet and you can just like tap it for free, then there's you know pretty much you're not giving up anything to try and to try and take that shot so uh understanding like what what are you giving up like if you have to dive off of your bike i think we've seen this a couple times in tournaments where people like jump off of their bike to go for a crazy shot um you're off your bike you've literally taken yourself out of the play so to go for that shot the cost of that opportunity is much higher than settling the ball down and not jumping off of your bike Mm -hmm. for the shot and sometimes it's worth it one you see a lot that maybe is a little less dramatic than jumping off the bike is like unclipping the person's pedal and like yeah. leaning forward and then trying to hit it because they think that they can get more forward on their bike by unclipping. But what they've done is they've like stopped their ability to propel themselves forward, change direction, mm-hmm. and it's going to take them longer to get back into the play. Kind of a smaller yeah. example. Exactly. Sometimes when I take those big half court or full court rips, I unclip my back leg and I use it as uh, like a counterbalance for even more wind up so I can put my like whole body into the shot. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely usually in the situation where I'm doing that. It's where the added the cost of me unclipping like I'm I consider it like maybe half a second. It's going to take me to clip back in if I'm in my end and I'm going for a full court shot and I need that extra power for that full court shot then I value the added power and I actually think it does help me with accuracy because it helps with balance um, that I can get behind that shot. I value that and I know that the half second that I'm going to be unclipped in that pedal is not going to matter because I'm taking a full court shot. Interesting. So in that situation, the opportunity cost is low for that added unclipping. But if I did that every single time I tried to take a shot, then certainly it would come back to haunt me. Interesting. Okay, so... Let's, for a second, just before we get too deep into the weeds on this, what are the factors that affect shot quality in your minds, guys? Um, like, I think, the, I, I think the biggest one is where the ball is in relation to your bike and how settled the ball is. Because in polo, we play with like a hard ball that bounces around a lot. And I actually think the difference between hitting a ball that you have control of, be that a stationary ball or a ball that you've been able to sort of touch a couple times and really settle down and you can hit it exactly where you want, makes a huge difference versus a ball that you're kind of even a little bit, be it a a defender is contesting you for control over it or it's kind of bouncing and it's not quite settled. Okay. That I think is the biggest, the biggest factor just yeah that that is the biggest factor right. I, have, I, have I think that's one <laughs> a big one another one okay liam well for me it's just shooting into traffic and you know yeah. I, i'm guilty of this obviously you, you just take a huge rip into you know two or three people in front of the net right and 
on a hope and yeah. a prayer it goes in. But that's just you know the more the more bodies and bikes are in front of the net, the less likely it's going to go in. Yeah. It's going to bounce off somebody. So that um, yeah. so getting getting a clear shooting lane is important. Yeah. yeah. So that negatively there's so so many it. times you see someone just rip it into like there's two defenders with bikes sort of staggered in front of them and the goalie set and you see the teammates like i'm ready for the one time you're like please don't shoot it dude <laughs> like please please, please I mean, don't sometimes, take this shot like <laughs> sometimes it goes right under the bottom brackets and just you know yeah, sometimes the stars it's aligned. but that's uh you know <laughs> Is it and that's the thing those, the those shots when you make them it's like oh my god but when you miss them it's like eh. also i just wanted um, to follow up um sorry we were talking about the the uh goal the shot percentage i was just reading about hockey and so like wayne gretzky all time probably the best hockey player of all time his percentage was about 17.6 wow whereas the league the league wow. average is usually around nine percent really uh, and that's all time those are all like but, those are he's taking like of course no, 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 but don't, don't goalies have like 50 per, don't goalies have like 98 percent save percentages uh, yeah but i mean so how, like, how does the goaltender have a 98 percent save percentage if the average player is scoring nine percent of their shots well because he, uh, that that shooting is spread out amongst all the players on the team you know he, yeah, but the, average would be the average the numbers don't really add like, up there for sure yeah um, I, thought, I thought they would one would be the inverse of the other but there must be something different on the math i think it's because they're well, discounting how many shots saves. that miss the net well no Wait, oh, that's so goaltenders only, yeah 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 goaltenders only save shots that hit the net but that wouldn't that make yeah you're right that would skew wouldn't the that hurt the, that would hurt the players even more then right yeah, yeah, but the same percentage know. is total shots on goal okay. from all players. All players, like NHL, on, we're like, onto you. You're anybody. doing something weird with your numbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because they're talking about that's just one player we're talking about. Like, whereas the goalie is, you know, shots they're taking shots from everybody on the other team. Yeah, but if they're, but taking, if the multi- average... they're taking a lot more shots than one player, like you know, if it's... yeah. Anyways, we're not on a hockey podcast, guys. So let's leave this example a little bit. I want to bring up also a couple other things that affect shot quality, or I suspect affect shot quality. We really need to do a much larger, bigger study of this Definitely. to see. But where you are on the court is obviously a big variable. I mean, mm-hmm. a shot from right in the slot, three meters out from the net, is going to be much better than a shot from behind your own net. Um, so I think yeah. we can agree on that one. Where I would be really court, curious to know how much like angle, like how like obviously the ideal shot is when you're like dead lined up in front of the net like the net is the largest target you could possibly hit mm-hmm. i would be really curious to know how far sort of around like as you increase the angle towards the net how does that actually affect shot percentage because yeah. i feel like when you get a little bit away from it it probably doesn't affect it at all but certainly when you're trying to score from like the goal line that's got it like those shots are way harder um so i'd be cur- i would be curious to know where that how that like how the shooting percentage fades is there like a sweet spot or not yeah you're you're right it it definitely as the angle gets sharper and you get more towards their goal line but you're off to the side i think that that would obviously negatively impact shot percentage because they're shooting a thinner target obviously i don't know i'd have to see yeah um another one i want to bring up is the speed at which you're traveling when you take the shot so I think the speed at which you're traveling is obviously a factor. I think what's a bigger factor is the relative speed between you and the ball. So like if I'm traveling, if I'm going like pretty fast or as fast as I normally ride in a polo mm-hmm. game, but the ball is moving the same speed as me and I have it under control, I think that's a that's not going to affect my shot as much. Whereas if I'm traveling at full speed and the ball's not moving, you have a very, it's basically a one-timer at that point. Mm-hmm. 
And one-timers, we're assuming are, because we have less control of the ball, are harder shots than shots where they're in our possession. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I would agree. So where you're on the court, bike's in front, ball control, like how much control you have for the ball. We'll put speed into that as well. Um, what about the And type, how much control you have on your bike? The type like of... Like, are, are you stable? Yeah. The type of shot that you're taking, like the technique you're using, right? Because bike polo... There's all kinds of different types of shots you can take, right? So you, there's a couple that I want to run through here. You have your regular forehand. So if I'm a right-handed player, lefties, just do the flip for me, please. You, you I know you guys can do it. Um, <laughs> just the bikes, the balls on your right of your bike, and you just wind up and take that forehand ripper right there, right? So that's a forehand shot. Then if the bike, if you're a righty, it's on the left side of your bike. You reach over your handlebars and you kind of do that extension like almost like a tricep extension to hit that ball into the net that would be like a backhand and then there's two others that i think are really good shots so you got your front wheel forehand and i think this is the shot i take more than anything else and i just want to explain it so we all know what i'm talking about is the ball's in front of your front wheel and you're able to reach forward and hit it with like a regular kind of forehand wind up like almost perpendicular to the direction your bike is going. Does that make sense? Like you you're, you're, you're side, like, yeah, you are, you are sideways to the net. Yeah. And you're like hitting the ball. Yeah. 90, 90 degrees, degrees from the direction your front wheel is facing. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. But it's the balls in front of your front wheel, which gives you that angle yeah. to do it. Um, same. I mean, thing, it's yeah. basically this, it's basically the same as a forehand shot. You're just shooting it at a different angle. Right. And so the backhand front wheel is the same thing, except instead of shooting with the forehand motion, you're shooting with the backhand motion. And then there's two other shots that I think if you practice, you can be very accurate with. And the first one is the seatbelt. So both these shots and the stale bread, both these shots, the seatbelt and the stale bread are shots where your bike is facing away from your opponent's net. So you might be riding towards your own net, but you're shooting on the net behind you. So the seatbelt is when your shooting motion, if I'm a righty, the ball's on my left side, and I come across my body and shoot as though I'm clipping in my seatbelt. So I mean, the, you're shooting, it's a, it's a backhand shot, but you're shooting it backwards. Yes, you're shooting it backwards. So it almost is like a forehand shot in that sense. Yeah. But it's like your yeah. bo- you're shooting up and coming across your bike, almost like your arm is becoming a seatbelt in a car for you. And then the stale yeah, bread cr- is... Cross bike, cross body. Yeah, the stale bread is where the ball, if I'm right-handed, is on my right side of my bike. And I'm looking back over my shoulder and doing kind of like a backhand shot backwards towards their net. So the type of shot you're using, obviously, is going to have a big impact. Most players are much better at shooting forehand shots. Like um, the forehand regular and the forehand front wheel are the two, I think, most effective shots. And if you look at the goals I track from these five games... The majority of them, I think like almost all of them were forehand or front wheel forehand shots. A couple of small backhand tippers in there, but... Um. I do wonder... So I, I don't know how many of if you guys are super familiar with Justin Bella because he used to play... He's a Toronto player, Toronto vet, amazing player. He used to play a lot more a couple of years ago and then he's been very busy the last few years and hasn't been as active in polo. Mm-hmm. But he does a lot of... Um, I think he does a lot of like fitness related things in his work and he talked a lot about like the biomechanics of when I was just starting as a player he was talking to me about like the biomechanics of shooting and he made a really good point that he actually thought that biomechanically 
it's easier for people to shoot backhands more accurately. And the only reason we're not better at it is because we don't practice it, which is a very unique and spicy take that I haven't heard before. And I also haven't seen anyone be better at backhands. He goes for backhands all the time and he's very good at it. Mm. Um, But it is, I do think that if you practice the backhand shot, like most of the time when people go out and they practice their shooting, it's all forehand stuff. I, try to mix in backhand stuff at least a third or half the time when I practice shooting. And I do think getting it into that sweet spot, like you can be very, very accurate with it. Um, I think a lot of the time when players go for backhand shots, they just, they go full power and they just sort of like swipe at it and they're a little off balance because they're not used to reaching across their body. But if you actually practice it and you practice sort of knowing where you want that ball to sit, you can get very, very accurate with your backhand. And it's a really, really good shot to have in your, uh, like up your sleeve that's practice well well there is one player in ottawa that pretty much exclusively shoots backhand but his his is more of like a st- straight up just like whacking the thing like whacking the mallet like directly towards the ground calls it the scud where you just like whack it down oh, yeah. well the scud is a special ottawa it's special. like a variant yeah it's like a it's like a ottawa thing where you just well the scud is just it a- directly down yeah, well, you just you're because I feel like the stale bread is kind of when you're shooting out to the side, right? Your your hands yeah. going in like a like an out to the side motion, whereas the scud you're just going like it's like you're whacking Straight back, the baby. Mallet. It's like you're whacking your mallet right on the ground. You're pretty but much pedaling your bike, or you're pedaling your bike like you can accurate do. with that thing. Well, if you line it up well, it's quite good. But I think the big difference between the stale bread and the scud is that on a stale bread, you've turned your head. So that you can see where you're aiming. Yes, Whereas so you're Scott, like, yes, when Rambo does blind. that, he's just blasting it backwards with no regard for human and life. hoping it goes in. Yeah. yeah, the the scud is also a notorious shot for injuring people when the mallet flies up in follow up because you're not looking Into someone's where you're face. Going. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Not recommended. Okay, so well, you forgot the coyo. Oh well, that's more of like a trick that's shot. A, that's advanced technique. I'd say that's more of it. There's a lot of trick shots. So you do the bat out of the air. You could do the wheelie shot, the bottom bracket shot, the uh, all these things, right? But I think those are more trick shots and not necessarily the bread and butter of the game. Like these are the six shots that when I'm practicing solo polo, I actually spend time working on. And I mean, I do do a few trick shots here and there for fun, but I don't know I've if I've seen you do them at pickups. Yeah, pickup only, baby. Pickups only. And that's another thing I want to talk about. This 10% shooting percentage that came from this five-game sample size, it's interesting because it's on the elimination day of world championships, right? So yeah, this number could be a lot higher than what you'd see at pickup because teams are much better shooters and they have an offensive set. Um, and they actually, all these players, I'm sure that are in this elimination day are already thinking about the shot quality of their attempts when they take them and choosing to possess the ball. In some of these games, like I'm watching, and they're only getting, you know, 20 shot attempts both ways the whole game. And I was expecting a shot every 10 seconds, but in reality, sometimes teams go a minute, 30 seconds without taking a shot attempt. It's a lot of possession. And that makes me think they're really focused on getting the best possible attempt for their team before they turn that ball over. Um, I will say, I think a big part of the, yeah, I think the teams, like when the biggest difference, I think, is not going to be in the shot selection, even. I think it's going to be that teams on an elimination stage of a world championship are playing do or die defense and they're they've got a system and they're playing like super tight and they're probably working a lot harder to make sure that you don't give up any sort of easy right. shots right in a way that you 
I don't think anyone works that hard at, you know, on pickup. If someone like beats you, you're like, ah, see what they do on that breakaway. If that's worlds, I am catching up to them. (laughs) (laughs) If if I, if I turn myself inside out to try to do it. Mm -hmm. The defense at the world championships is definitely a lot tougher. They all have systems. They're all on the same page. And that makes me think that if you were to pick up your shooting percentage would be a lot higher than at worlds. Because no one's making, there's no defensive breakdowns for the most part. There's a couple, but way less so than pickup. I mean, how often are people scoring on um, open net shots or one-man breakaways at pickup or regional tournaments? And you don't see that at Worlds nearly as much. Just because teams are playing a lot more conservative. Um, So before, I'm going to ask you guys a couple hypothetical questions. But there's one more factor of shot quality. I'm going to review them all first before we get into this hypothetical. Um, And that is shot recovery percentage so here's an idea i have and i was thinking about this today if i take a really bad shot but i'm traveling at speed towards the net and all the other players are facing the other way i have a really high percentage of recovering that shot compared to most so does that affect my like that doesn't necessarily affect the shot quality but it affects the expected value of that shot attempt because there's a good chance i'm going to recover the rebound what do you guys think about that property? They're moving the opposite way of you, whereas well, just, like you are... Just like, forget what they're doing. Just if I feel as though I have a really good opportunity to recover, like, just based on where the players are on the court, I have a good op- chance of recovering this rebound if I miss the net or a goalie saves it because of where everyone else is. Does that make that shot better than... I guess it does make the shot better. What do you guys well, think? Well, yeah, because, you know, when Alex mentioned the opportunity cost you're not wasting the shot, so to speak, or at least you think you have a good chance of getting it back. Mm-hmm. So just do it, in my opinion. <laughs> Liam's all about taking shots. Mm-hmm. Just take it. I, I will say, like, I think if you, I think that there is, however terrible a shot might be, sometimes you just get that feeling, you know? You're like, I feel really good about this one, or, like, it kind of lines up. Like, every now and then in tournaments, I've gone for some just absolutely ridiculous shots where I'm like, reaching i'm doing like a seatbelt, but i'm reaching all the way around and i'm shooting it through my bottom bracket the other way um but like if you kind of see that the ball's lined up i've got time to set it up and i'm like yeah i'm really feeling this shot sometimes you just got to go for them you know wheelie shots even though i've never practiced it whatever like if you're if you're just like no the way this ball is it's it's settled like this is the shot like don't don't fight it just uh steer into the curve and, and go with the flow so i think if you're in a situation and you find yourself like you, you feel good about the shot, just take it. Right. I think all of this conversation is just about making players more conscious of the shots they're taking and how shot selection can really affect your efficiency as a scorer. And yeah, keeping in mind some of these principles we brought up, like how much control of the ball do I have right now? How many bikes are in front of the net? Where on the court am I? And what kind of technique am I going to use? Am I good at that technique? If you keep these factors in mind, you're probably going to make smarter decisions and turn the ball over less often. And maybe you make better opportunities for your teammates, right? Because you're able to see that they have a better shot than you at that time. So it's something good to keep in mind. I think all players could improve their shot percentage. And as our game grows and more people are doing more assessments and analytics on these kinds of things, if anyone decides to, we're going to see some, I suspect some really big changes in shot selection and strategy on offense. Yeah, I mean, being, I think it's always good, like, it's always good to ask what can you do to improve as a player, and 
what makes what makes someone a good teammate or what makes someone not a good teammate. And I will never get mad at a teammate for taking a shot if they felt good about it. Like mm-hmm. you need you need you if you want to win a game, you have to be able to score goals. And in order to score goals, you got to take shots. But I will say it is pretty frustrating if you're playing with someone who just always turns the ball over and kind of commits to these like hopeless plays. Right. And if you're if you're someone in that situation, I've definitely been that player before. I used to think the the going through my bottom bracket and the and the defense's bottom bracket was like the best shot ever and I would try and line it up every single time and it became so predictable that every time I got the ball people would just wait for me to do it and the good players in Toronto would just block it every single time. Um and I kind of had to eventually realize myself where I think I think some of the some of the vets in the city were like, hey, man, <laughs> you need to think about different shots. Think like if you end up, it's OK to go for that shot. But like, look before you shoot and say, am I being covered? And if the answer is yes, do you have a pass open? Because I think that's the biggest thing about shot percentage and the opportunity cost. If I'm. If I have a good if I have a good shot or I have like maybe not a good shot or like whatever but there's nothing else to do with it, yeah, maybe you take that shot. But if I'm thinking about trying to take a contested shot where I think I can, you know, I'm at full speed, I'm off balance, I'm trying to score on a breakaway or not a breakaway but like I'm trying to score but Gavin's right behind me and I could just stop the ball, the defense are going to fly through and he's got the open net, then maybe it'd be cool if I hit that shot but the opportunity cost is a lot higher if I miss it because the opportunity is literally giving my teammate an open net. Right. Right. I think that's a great hypothetical. And I got another one for you guys. Okay. This is one that I think you see a lot at tournaments because there's some players just think these are inherently bad shots that we shouldn't take. But I'm just wondering what you guys think after discussing all this. So you're in the semifinals of a tournament playing against a strong team. It's a tie game, 1-1, with four minutes left. It's been pretty defensive. Your opponents are playing three up because they feel a pressure to win the game. So they got no goalie in their net. You find yourself with the ball uncovered with an open shot at the open net. The problem is you're three quarters of the court away from their net. If you move with the ball, the other team will recover and set their defense. Do you shoot it? So I think the to go by the way that you answered the way that you asked this question to answer the like the way that you asked it the answer for me is 100% yes cuz 3 quarters court on a short like on a normal polo size court like what okay here here's the thing if you take that shot there's a you know maybe you hit it maybe you don't right but if it's open and they are there's nobody back like there's nobody that because some sometimes someone can be covering the net. Uh, the, the thing about these three quarter court shots are that somebody could be covering the net that isn't directly between you and the net. Like if there's somebody behind their net, they may actually have time if they're moving fast enough to just roll in front of the net and still block your shot. But what you're saying is it's open. Like there's nobody that could block. If I hit this ball on target, it's going in. Then I think I definitely take that shot. And the reason is. What better oppor- what am I, what better opportunity am I going to get by holding on to it? Because even if I hold on to it, I let you know we come up with the team and we go for another play. What better look are we going to generate than no defense? 
Like we're not. There's you're never going to have a better shot than no defense. Yeah, you it's a little far out. A valid point, but I think there's a lot of players in the community. Um, I'm a big proponent of taking these kinds of shots. Personally, I take three quarters, full court shots at the nets open all the time for a number of reasons, and I'll explain them after. But there's a lot of players out there that I think see that and they're like, oh my gosh, like we could have made a passing play or done something. Now we're just going to give possession up and have to play defense again. I mean, the thing is, and I guess this goes back to our discussion about shooting percentage. If I think that I have a 20% shot or a 20% chance of hitting that net, that's double the scoring percentage of any other play that we're going to run by the numbers that you generated, right? So if we're trying to win in that situation, then I think you do that. If we're playing pickup and the goal is to actually play bike polo, then maybe I want to have fun and play, like actually play polo. And I know, yeah, we could play the game where I try to hit this full court shot, but wouldn't it be more fun if we actually like played together and and did passing plays even if it's not the most important or the highest win percentage good points alex good points liam what do you think uh well when i read when you're saying that the opponents they're playing three up so i'm assuming it's sort of like a press situation right yeah they are essentially yeah they're full-on trying to get the ball trying to shoot and for me so so taking that shot like if you are just to hold on to the ball um like my the three options I think are it's either you kind of press on and you attack, um, you take the shot, or you just sort of try to reset. And the reset's not going to do anything because they're still going to be pressing you, right? And you may have wasted a good shot. Um, you push to you push forward with the ball. You give them a chance to yeah get somebody in that net, and you know someone they're still going to be on you. And so for me it's just uh, it seems like you take that shot. Yeah, it might go in, it might not, um, but you've still disrupted their kind of press, this press situation. It gave you some breathing room. You still are able to chase the ball, and I don't know, it seems like an effective, it seems like a reasonable shot, like like three quarters of the court, depending on what court it is. Um, you know, it's not an unreasonable distance to just go for it, and uh, I don't know, that's what makes it exciting, in my opinion. <laughs> Can I think I'm thinking about this in a different way just because for me I hear three quarter court shot and I'm like I'm comfortable shooting from there especially if it's an open net but I I think if I can reinterpret the question a little bit the question is if you're taking a shot from farther than you're comfortable shooting from but the net's open would you go for it Mm. right because I think because I'm thinking if I'm like for me like there's we all have we all have places that we're we think is kind of too far and like you know certain amounts of the discussion can be dedicated to like how far it's too far and i think you'll kind of have a feel for your own shooting accuracy based on your shooting ability but if i'm in a situation where i'm at the i'm definitely outside of where i'm comfortable taking a good shot but i know that it's an open net i mean i still think i take that shot (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, I think I take it too. Yeah, yeah, um, I think I take it too. But like, I, I do think that's a, a good way to think about it. Yeah, I feel like you just kind of make an impulse thing. You're just like, ba bam, and see what happens. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe in the more in a more like um, elite scenario. Well, no, you're saying this is semifinals of a tournament. But like, you know, in the world's class or something, I feel like there'd be a more of a tendency to just like regroup and like run a play, like regroup and then sort of um execute something differently there was a time always jumping on opportunities in this situation i mean it comes back to opportunity costs right so if 
we've been running an offense that game that's getting a lot of really good looks. I'm less inclined to mm-hmm. take that shot because I don't need that risky shot to generate value and scoring opportunities. If my offense is crushing their defense, we feel like we have an edge. We just haven't been able to convert yet. I might regroup with my teammates and try and run the play that's been working for us and shredding their defense, right? Because that's been getting us really good opportunities, maybe better opportunities than this one. I think yeah. that would have to be a really, really good opportunity to um, outweigh my shooting accuracy from most places on the court for myself. Um, I think it's would have to be much better than 10%. But, um, I mean, this is something you got to think about, right? What opportunities are we passing up uh, to get this? And yeah. obviously another side advantage of taking shots like this so maybe not with only four minutes left but maybe early in the game is that it's going to make their team respect you guys as shooting threats even if you miss they're like whoa they took that shot from full court maybe we should keep a goalie a little further back and i think that that depending on how smart the opponents are can uh really affect the way the game plays out i mean i i do think there there was a situation that i probably wouldn't take this shot and this is basically what you were just saying gavin but i remember when we'd been playing for two or three years and we were there were other teams that we would play that had also been playing for two or three years and we got to this point where we were in these really close games like we'd have these close elimination games where our skill sets were kind of everyone had different skills but nobody was quite fully developed as like a competitive tournament player and we ended up in these situations where i remember we were in like a a 1-1 game it was actually very similar to the situation and uh the other team had just scored on us and caught up and we like had a little team meeting and we're like look guys they actually aren't like they can't take the ball away from us like we have good enough stick handling that like if we're just really 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 patient they will get out of position eventually like we just the only time they're getting possession is when we give it to them. Let's just be incredibly selfish with the ball and just never like be incredibly conservative, just hang on to it and basically only look for the open net. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, but that's, that's obviously a very rare, that's a rare situation, but I think it's important to recognize like, how is the opponent getting, getting the ball from you? Because if you're in a situation where you feel really confident that they're not stealing it from you, then you probably don't take that shot. You probably don't take the open net shot. And that, that definitely happens. But I will say good, like when you play like really good teams, there's always a chance they're going to throw a double on you and try to, you know, and they'll be able to force a turnover without a shot. Right. Cause it'd feel really bad if you passed up this open net opportunity and then didn't even get a shot. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're in this situation and your team has the lead, maybe you're less inclined to take a shot like this because you're turning the ball over and you just want to control the mm-hmm. ball and the possession and the pace of play and wind that clock down. Um, For sure. I mean, but that's a different situation, I suppose. Okay. Well, that's pretty good for shooting percentage and just introducing this concept to the polo community, those that don't know about it already, and just giving a really good in-depth of all the factors that go into that the different decisions you make the opportunity cost of taking shots and yeah and i think that if players keep this in mind while they play and kind of think about shooting percentage as far as your team strategy is concerned we could have some really strong teams out there coming up soon this was a topic that like yeah. obviously we've talked about a lot as we've developed as players but when you first brought this up with me it really changed how i played every single shot i took i started thinking about what was my percentage on that shot and I was, I was dead wrong about a lot of it, but it really, if you go back and reflect on a game and think every single time I tried to score, did I take 
did did I take good percentage chances, or should I have just said nope, not now, and turned around and just done a big full reset? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's oh. uh, people. It's don't a tough. It's, it's it's tough. <laughs> it's tough, but yeah. But that's okay. where robust stats would come in handy, like um, like Gavin, your project of just watching footage and and tabulating is like yeah, yeah probably time consuming, right? And having someone do that at like a tournament would be a big undertaking and it's yeah. easy for professional sports right because they you know they've got people paid to do that stuff and they have so yeah. many systems in place for polo we don't have any we don't have any of that and they're like as far as i know there hasn't really been like a huge um undertaking of that like i know that at random tournaments here and there someone has been taking stats as i don't know maybe you guys mm-hmm. can correct me if you know of any they're like, basic resources, stats, but though. Yeah, I think Podium is still like the only it's their box stats. bike polo stat site. Yeah, I wish yeah. we had more stats because I'd love to like dive into the analytics of bike polo and really look at it and see what strategies are most effective, what are the best shots. But at the same time, part of me is also like, don't ever do that because then everyone's <laughs> going to play the same. I mean, this this comes yeah. back to that is polo a sport debate, right? And I think if you wanted to make polo a sport, getting these stats and having all this stuff is part of being a larger sport and we would definitely like you're saying lose something from the community and the the diverse play style but also it'd be really cool to have all the stats and know like what the shooting percentages <laughs> are and stuff I, so you know i i see the benefit on it can't have your so cake and eat it too of, at the risk of beating this to death why don't we move on to everyone's favorite segment of the show the mailbag rob from kitchener writes hey alex liam and gavin Thank yes, you for that is the correct out. order. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Finally, for, Rob, you are the best. All right, that, thank you that's for the whole cranking. Email, right? <laughs> no, that's not the whole email. Thank you for cranking out. Get it cranking uh, the Polo Podcast every week. I've been missing tournaments, and this is almost like overhearing y'all bantering behind a food table on a tournament Saturday morning. If you close your eyes <laughs> and imagine, my question is: What's the story behind the podcast theme music? I have two theories. It's either Liam recording and looping himself, or you have a progressive rock band that's been a secret so far, but I could be way off. Polo forever, Rob KW Slime Balls. Thanks, Rob. Um, I guess I can speak to the music. It's um, actually me. It's my band. I, uh, yeah, it's Alex's <laughs> band. <laughs> um, it's just one of my beats that I made a while ago, and I thought it fit well with the podcast. And uh, Yeah, so I guess it's sort of the first one. So you weren't far off there, uh, Rob. Shout out your radio show. Also, check out, check out my yeah. SoundCloud, yo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't, uh, I won't plug my SoundCloud. You should. Unless people want to hear it. You should. Yeah, they want it. <laughs> well, you want me to I, I can't say my SoundCloud ULR on the. That won't be right. Okay, well, we'll link it in it. the Instagram in the description. Yeah, we can link it in the gram. Give me some, uh, give me some love on SoundCloud. Um, Do people use SoundCloud? Like, I I thought that was like the MySpace of of audio. It's it's dying. I'm I'm pretty sure it's on its way out. It's okay. it's gone. It you know you have to pay for a lot of things. I mean, when it was free and started up, you were like, holy crap, this is awesome. And now they're just sort of monetizing everything. It's turning into Spotify. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Benji, Benji writes from France. Right. Just a quick message to thank you guys for airing this podcast, the third podcast I'm ever following. Wow, that's pretty sweet. Keep it coming, and if you ever fall short of people to talk to, I would love to. My name is Benjamin Liu. I'm a French player since 2011, and I've lived in different clubs to fulfill my passion for polo. I put together with Clint from Sydney the Bike Polo 101 YouTube channel back in 2015. I'm oh, hoping hell yeah. to put out. 
I'm hoping to put out more polo content, but just have a lot to earn in video editing. Well, I know a guy. <laughs> Holla at me. I would love to chat about bike polo content and the platforms that have been used to connect our player base community since the beginning. Peace. Benji. Uh, the Yo, bike polo awesome. 101. I haven't, I don't think I've seen those. I have, no. and they're really good. I they're checked really it out. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's pretty impressive. Some of the content that there's on there. I think I actually used one of their videos to learn um, how to wheelie turn when I was beginning. Yeah. So big shout out to you, Benji, for helping me learn to wheelie turn. We'd love that. And we'll definitely be in touch to maybe organize an interview at some point. But uh, yeah, that, we'll find that channel out. was awesome. I definitely used it. Um, we've been talking about, I, or I've been talking to people about trying to make bike polo content since I started in bike polo. And your channel was one of the first ones that we saw. And I was like, this is so cool. We could do something like this. But these guys already did such a good job of it. I don't think we could improve on it. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, yeah, the Bike Polo 101 definitely deserves more love. I feel like there's a lot of things in the Bike Polo world that, you know, we don't, because there isn't like League of Polo anymore, uh, we're almost missing that like central hub for when something like Bike Polo 101 comes out to like have it as a resource that can get shared as worldwide as it as it should be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Well, dude. that was, let's, uh, awesome. let's put a link to, uh, to that, to those videos right under my SoundCloud. <laughs> <laughs> we can. Um, yeah, we have the technology. We yeah. have the means. New new players that are interested in learning technical stuff about polo, some of the more, and seeing, like, really um, short but also, like, informative videos, Bike Polo 101's YouTube channel is fantastic. And uh, one more email, I guess you could say, from Justin. Uh, he writes, On this week's installment of Random Thoughts by Justin, Clipless scares the shit out of me. You can't finish a large poutine in Montreal, and I'd love to play at Turducken and redeem Ottawa's club reputation at that event. Thanks, Redacted. <laughs> the, the, can we, he had the can name we of the player there, so I had to redact. <laughs> can we just have like a podcast within a podcast of Justin's weekly installments? <laughs> we easily could if we asked him. We easily could. Get <laughs> He's got lots of time. Looking. For he has lots likes. of thoughts, too. Lots of takes. Yeah. Yeah. Also, one of the most fun players in Northsides to just play a tournament with. Like, I did not appreciate how much fun playing a tournament with Justin would be, and I, I played with him at Fall Ball in a couple of years ago, and it was he's, like, I mean, he's a good player. Like, there's you know the how good people are. Like, obviously, you know, being having a team that you're gonna have fun playing with is important. But like, just as a person and like his play style, Justin's so much fun to play with. He lives for the polo. Not fun to play goalie against, though. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your bike won't be intact, neither will your your shins. I was going to say that is when wheel covers are definitely underrated. For sure. When you are trying to block a shot from Justin. What are your I actually of- think... I think oh. Justin was the player in Ottawa when I first built... When I built my first polo bike, I had 32-spoke cyclocross wheels, and I put these wheel covers on. And I kind of did a not a great job of DIY making some wheel covers. And I think Justin was the player that was like, oh, nice wheel covers. Let me test them for you. And it was my first <laughs> week on my new bike. And he ripped a ball through my wheel cover and broke yeah. a spoke. I was like, great. <laughs> <laughs> he still has that gusto with all the rookies. He still has the all the rookies their first hard shots. That's for sure. What do you guys think of this take? You can't finish a large boutine in Montreal. Well, I don't know that I've there. ever finished a large poutine in Montreal, and I don't know that I've ever seen someone finish a large poutine in Montreal. So, 
as much as I feel like that can't possibly be true, I don't have any evidence to disagree with it. It makes me you know, really want to drive true. Montreal. <laughs> I was there <laughs> when I think after Polo, Why? Um, I was with Neil and a bunch of people, and we were like, we're going to go get a poutine. Or we went to this restaurant in uh, Saint Henri. It was called AA's, and Neil kept warning us. He's like, "Don't get a large. A large is like, a, a large is like a family size. Like it's huge." And we were just <laughs> like, "Yeah, right. Whatever. Large. Like I'm really hungry. I can eat a large." So we ordered larges, and then we were just like, obviously we were pretty hammered, but <laughs> we were just like, <laughs> upon getting this poutine, we were just like, "Holy fuck! This thing is huge!" and <laughs> I must have only had like maybe a third of it and then just kept the rest. And poor Scott, he had put his on not like a bench, but like some kind of uh, almost like a post and he was eating it off the post. And it unfortunately like the, th- the thing flopped over and the poutine just sort of f- fell on the ground. And <laughs> Oh uh, my God. I think I was there was for the this. La- <laughs> I was <Were> there. <laughs> I don't remember any other Wait, part except so, Scott's getting crushed, like the poutine not being. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, and Justin definitely, uh, he's admitting here he didn't finish his either. So we should have listened to Neil. Yeah. And we were just like, you know, being like, yeah, we can eat a large poutine. Like, how big is that? Come on. Anyway, good times. I mean, poutine, poutine is uh, quite the dish. It's amazing. Yeah. To all the all worldwide listeners groups. out there, not from Canada. Get yourself a poutine, okay? Get some real cheese curds on there, some real good gravy, and hand-cut fries. It's going to change your life. Make sure you put lots of ketchup on that, too. Honestly, I feel like poutine's one of those foods... I feel like poutine's one of those foods that, like, it it obviously has... Like, it originates from one part of the world, and when you get it made from, like, not that part of the world... Like, there are people that can make good poutine outside of Quebec, but it's less common. Like, if you go... If I just get poutine and i don't know like real like there's an art there's a craft to it there's an art to it and like you have to like learn it from the masters to be able to make it not just a disgusting pile of carbs <laughs> there's a lot of fat too it's all about the cascrut cascrut poutine it's the best okay well we've got one more segment and that's the beer point and this one is my beer point this week do you guys want to hear it go ahead yeah, what's your beer point so uh it's called the rig report hashtag rig report where um, you tell us what kind of bike you ride because you know, the listeners I'm sure they're dying to know what bike we ride, you know, cause we talk a big game about bike pole. So we better be able to back it up with our fancy specs <laughs> and all the best, all the latest polo equipment because, so, all, because we who have wants the to go first polo bikes, right? <laughs> um, I guess I can give the rundown first. My bike's right beside me right now. So it's pretty easy to label oh, it. Perfect. Um, I ride a V1 Enforcer, so the original black and orange. Um, got some 26-inch wheels on there, of course. Best paint, best paint job Enforcer. It's basically Get all Chris Kinged and Thompsoned up, head to toe Ooh. at this point. Z cranks. It's a pretty sweet bike. You can check it out on uh, Bikes of Polo. It's on there for sure. Go see it there and all its glory. Although I did get the Chris King hubs after that one. So it's actually better now than it is on nice. there. I usually run a hydraulic nice. XT Shimano brake, but I break them all the time and not in a good way. Like I smash them. So right now I got an Avid BB7 one <laughs> waiting for the parts to come to replace my old one. Dang. I like it. It's a good bike. All their bikes are good though. Solid I bike. Think. Yeah. Solid bike. Solid, solid polo bike. Uh, well, I'll go next. I've got the Fixcraft Ad Astra. 
uh, I think I might be the only Canadian that paid full retail for it uh, before they went on sale. <laughs> and then I know for a fact that I was the only Canadian that ordered it with the Velocity wheels because they did not have their shipping with Velocity coordinated. So they shipped me the frame and some of the components without the wheels. And I paid duty for the wheels. And then Velocity sent me the wheels again. And I had to pay duty for the wheels again. Um, that sucked. Uh, but... Uh, they yeah fixcraft at astra i actually don't even have those velocity wheels anymore i've got a different pair of wheels that i actually don't know this is the funny thing i actually don't know what these wheels are they're cams old wheels and they're just black like there's no branding on them they're lighter they're 48 spokes they're 700 they're lighter than they're much lighter than the velocity truckers but i they're still pretty beefy and strong and i don't know what they are don't so talk ill of those truckers those truckers saved my life. No, I life. love the truckers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Might have literally Those saved my did. life. <laughs> Those truckers took a car crash. Took the full impact of a car's front bumper for Gavin while he was riding that bike. Yeah, so I was riding the bike lane and I got rear-ended real fast. And the chucker, the sturdiness of it absorbed the whole thing. And I walked away with like a scratch on my knee. But those wheels were never the same after. But <laughs> those wheels were a taco after. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I still I still ride on that frame. That frame survived that crash. Um, and the fork did not. I've replaced the fork. Well, the fork survived that crash. I snapped it wheelie turning too aggressively or endoing too aggressively. Um, and then I've got just kind of generic parts. I've got a really sweet um, top tube or a head. Oh, my God. I'm blanking on the term of it. What's the... The headset cap for the inch and an eighth uh, headset cap. I've got a really sweet 3D printed metal Bike Polo Toronto logo for. Oh yeah, that cap. thing is that thing is awesome. They were made. They were made when I just moved to Toronto, so a bunch of the older players had them, and one of the older players had two, and uh, yeah, he gave me his, which was pretty sweet. And then I am also dealing with a brake situation. I'm trying to figure out what the optimal brake is right now. I have an SLX hydraulic brake on there. It is temporary um it works it's fine but it's really i've noticed i had a z brake on it before i've had pretty much every different type of shimano brake on there before and i've noticed that going from z back down to slx i have significantly reduced stopping power and i really do i miss it and i really want to get a better brake on it um i don't know i don't want to pay full price for i don't want to pay 500 dollars for a break that's gonna i'm gonna destroy in a season and a half but i don't know what i'm gonna do i'm trying to figure it out uh if someone has break ideas please let me know i know gavin's content but yeah i've done the research because i do the same thing although i think mine is more to do with how i ride my brake lever like i like to ride it on a very like low angle lower than my bars so when if i can't do bar spins Mm -hmm. like my lever smashes my top tube and I think that's why I keep wait, breaking them so much. That's part wait, of the reason, at least. You break, you break your levers. I break my calipers. Yeah. Why are? <laughs> how are we not fixing our? Why don't we just like go splitsies on a couple breaks? <laughs> Honestly, we could. <laughs> Especially if we can get them cheaper by the pair. It'd be pretty easy for us to do yeah. this. I got a BB7 for you as a, a spare, but I think that from the research I've done, the Hope breaks with the braided um, cable. This seems to be the durable one that people are using. Yeah. I don't know. That's my I don't next. Break buy. my cables though. Like, I don't break my cables. I snap the pistons inside the caliper. And I've done this three times now. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Aggressive. Because we stopped too much. I mean, I, I also snapped my Fixcraft fork um, 
doing the trick. I'm just a, I'm a very big, I'm a very heavy player. That's not tactful. Like a lot of the times when you see skilled polo players, like I watched like Hammersley doing endos and I'm like, that guy's like, he's buttery smooth on his, his rotations and stuff. I am the opposite of that. So I feel like every time I try to do it, it's like, Oh, I can do an endo pivot, but I know that I'm putting an ungodly amount of stress on the parts of my bike and they clearly break over time. So Either I would have to get better as a player, or I need to find parts that are a little more durable. We got to get you like um, a custom fork with two attachments, so you can run two brakes <laughs> up to like a dual brake lever, but it just both goes to your front. That would honestly, I would, I would play with that. That'd be so sweet. <laughs> Double the stopping power. Okay, we got one last bike here, Liam. We saved the best for last. Oh yeah, my bike. Uh, to be honest, I was like, maybe I should just ask Matt to do it since. He built it <laughs> pretty much. Uh, but I ride the brand, well, mostly brand spanking new Lightfoot V3 uh, frame and fork with some 48 oh, yeah. spoke. Uh, I think they're sun rims. They're pretty wide. And um, I've got a hydraulic, I think Shim- I think that same hydraulic, what did you say? Shimano XT hydraulic brake you used to have? XT or SLX, yeah. It, it might be SLX. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty sweet bike. Giant connect saddle. Uh I think some shitty BMX freewheel in the back, which has surprisingly still held up. I was totally thinking it was gonna crap out at some point, but it still works, so I forgot to mention my favorite part of my bike is that giant connect saddle that you run too. This oh, thing yeah. is so it's comfy. Pro saddle. The giant connect saddle, they don't put it on their bikes. This was like the bike, the default saddle that came on like aggressive giant hybrids and their low-end road bikes and i just love it for bike polo i have an extra I might have to check that out. really i need to check that out my saddle is destroyed i destroyed my saddle's constantly falling apart it's held together by tape um <laughs> and like the the rods on the back are all bent and out of shape like it's i've been and that's the new one like i replaced it not that long ago i just kind of accepted that i'm never gonna have a comfortable polo saddle so maybe i'll have to i'll have to try one better than brooks connects. They're cheap, but I like um, them. I don't know if they're I forgot to say the most interesting part of my bike is I've got the Raceface Atlas cranks that Fixcraft were selling um, when they sold the Ad Astra. I was naive enough as a polo player that I thought, oh, well, if Fixcraft is selling them, they must be ideal for polo. Like, somebody must have thought this is going to be the best. And I definitely think that they are more expensive than I should have paid for cranks. And they use the like cinch uh system so the chain ring is on the inside of the crank arm and it's a race face proprietary uh bottom bracket and chain ring system so if i break that chain ring i am not going to be able to replace it at a tournament and that for that reason alone i don't recommend people go with it but what i will say is i've been incredibly impressed i've had this bike for like four years and i've literally never had an issue with it and i've never broken that it's been (laughs) Like that, that was the thing I pay. I remember I got it and I was like, well, I paid so much more for these stupid cranks and I know they're not even going to be good for polo, but I'm just going to use it till they break because I already paid for them and they have way outlasted my expectations. So on the one hand, I don't recommend them because I do think chain rings, like chain rings can break through no fault of your own or no fault of the chain ring. But, um, I've been really impressed with this system. I think having the chain ring on the inside probably does protect it a little bit more, 
and uh it you know it gives you a good chain line um yeah it they've they've held up i've been really impressed with them we'll have to do a whole episode on um bike parts and just bike geometry and different parts and what's the best brake and what's the best bottom bracket Definitely. and all these different things for polo in mind best bang for your buck i think that'd be a great episode i would love to do an episode where we build the best bang for your buck polo bike that would be sweet that'd be sweet yeah we it's should. an enforcer just it, there we go <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> all right well that's the beer point yeah this has been a long beer point sounds like we're done <laughs> we finished this episode and if you're still listening Thank you so much. I mean, that was a probably a pretty long episode, and we got pretty in the weeds at some points, and you're still here, and we really, really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening to the end and for being one of our listeners. Um, on behalf of myself, Liam, and Alex, keep the rubber side down, and we'll see you on the court. Have a good one. Bye. Check my SoundCloud, bro.